Hey Maniacs! Hey Maniacs! Welcome to Midsummer Maniacs. Welcome to episode six. <laughs> yes. Death's Shadow. The first episode in season two of Midsummer Murders. Before we start off, just a reminder, if you let your kids watch the show, they're more than welcome to listen to the podcast, but if they're too young for the podca- for the show, then they're too young for the podcast. Before we dive into this week's episode, I need to time travel a little bit. Okay. Because we missed something really important two episodes ago. Okay, so we're going to go two episodes back. Yes, to Faithful Unto Death. Okay. Because we missed something epic. Okay, we missed something epic in episode, that would be episode three of season one. Yes. Bunny. Of the bunny case. Yes. Played by Peter Jones. And Peter Jones is epic because of something that we missed. Okay, so lay it on me. He was the voice of the book in the BBC production of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's where I know his name from. Yes. So the radio show. And the BBC TV show, the, the miniseries. BBC TV show. He is the voice of the Hitchhiker's Guide. That's pretty epic. It is epic. <laughs> so he had some bunny cakes and recorded some amazing audio. Because I, when I was a kid, I heard that radio show. And that was my introduction to the books. Yeah. And that, that voice, like when I read the books, the parts that were the book were in his voice. Yeah. I was the same way, but not with the radio show. It was with the TV show. And it was on PBS very late at night. And my dad knew I wanted to see it. And he was excited. So he would wake me up and we would watch an episode. And then we would both go back to sleep. Now, is he in the movie also? Does he... Because uh, Stephen Fry does the voice of the book in the movie. Yeah. In the, in the later movie. The newest yeah. movie. Yeah. When I found that out, I couldn't believe it. Like, how did we miss that? That is epic. <laughs> That we missed that. Thank you for indulging my time travel before we got started. Absolutely. And now back <laughs> to episode six of the podcast and episode one of season two, Death's Shadow. We're back in Badger's Drift. Yes. This episode was filmed in May and June of 98 and broadcast on the 20th of January, 1999. This is kind of halfway through the new season of, remember, it was spring that the first season was on. Yeah. And this is the following January. I don't know the numbers, but to begin with, the first season must have been hugely successful. Yeah. Because they were eager to get more of these episodes made. I found quite a few reviews for the murders of Badger's Drift from Mm -hmm. the time. That were really positive and very excited. But, you know, it was the pilot and it's kind of the exceptional episode of these early seasons. So there's no surprise people were excited about it. Now, this episode, when originally broadcast on the 20th of January, 1999, had 10.41 million viewers. Wow. Which is astronomical. And they would have been watching it live. Yes. Unless they they were recording it on VHS. They had their VHS players (laughs) to record it. I I wonder... So we have our Midsummers on DVD because there was a while where it wasn't on every streaming service. In fact, today I heard 
that there is a streaming service, I forget which one, which has a 24 hour day midsummer channel that shows nothing but midsummers <laughs> over. We and need over. to know what service that is. <laughs> um, so it's on every streaming service now, but there was a time where we had to get the DVD. Yeah, if we wanted to see it, yeah. If we wanted to see it in any sort of order or regular. Before Netflix, before BritBox. Yes. Yeah. And so there, I wonder if there are massive VHS tape sets and if people will send us pictures of them. It would take up like three shelves, wouldn't it? It would be like X-Files tapes. Yeah. So. Kind of like Troy's X-Files collection. In terms of today... Uh, the biggest show in Britain right now is a show called Line of Duty, Duty, which you said duty gets 12.1 million viewers on a regular basis, and another show on ITV, which is Britain Got Britain's Got Talent, gets 10.2 million viewers. So if this episode was on British TV today, it would receive the second place. It would be the second highest viewership. Yes. That's impressive. And so... And it the, must have been really big back then. There are two things I noticed about this year's most watched shows of 2019. That, that I figured out where it was. Number two was Death in Paradise is the ninth most watched show in Britain right now. Wow. It's a good show if you haven't seen it. It is a good show, but I had no idea it was that popular. Yeah. I thought it was just this kind of little cozy... Caribbean show that we liked, but it's hugely popular. Any guesses to what the number 10 show is? The perennial number 10 show in Britain right now? Squawk Box. Coronation Street. <laughs> Do you know what Squawk Box is? I have no idea what Squawk Box is. It's this TV show where you watch other people watch TV. Oh, that's right. It's awesome. <laughs> what we need. Okay, so this is our ultimate crossover. <laughs> what we need is a show in which you go to other people's houses to eat dinner and watch Midsummer Murders. Oh, it's like, come watch TV with me? Yes, come watch TV with me. <laughs> Instead of come dine with me. <laughs> and then we could give them a makeover, and then we could give their house a makeover while they're at our house watching TV. And while, you, while we go through their stuff. And you could have trading spaces at the same time. <laughs> trading, come watch Midsummer with me. Yes. <laughs> And then other people could watch us watch that show. And then it would be the squawk box. Part. Squawk box trading come midsummer watch with me. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally watch that show. <laughs> and in the last moment, Troy walks in with a bottle of wine. And says, I think there's been a murder. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the very first episode that is not based on a book. Still written by Anthony Horowitz, though. Still written by Anthony Horowitz. So there's two books that have not been made into a show. Ooh, I need to read those and find out why. And one of them sounds super interesting. It's about a guy and a ghost, and it sort of relates to one of the stories that comes up later, but, but it's not that story. There's a whole ghost aspect to it. I was like, why don't you make that one? Maybe the FX budget isn't big enough Maybe. for Maybe. ghosties. Ghosties. Ghosties dine with me. <laughs> there's a there's a mashup for you. Restoration Man plus a ghost show. <laughs> oh, we're slap happy now. Yes, we are indeed quite slap happy. Death and Restoration Man. So we have returned to Badger's Drift. You are correct. And they kind of acknowledge it as it's kind of a tongue in cheek thing. Like 
Oh, let's go to Badger's Drift. Yeah, I'm familiar with that place. <laughs> uh, there's no pub in this episode. I don't know. David Whiteley has a beer at a pub, but they don't really show us what it is. There's a sign and silhouette behind him, but it's got a horse, I think. Something. Yeah. And the major location, the sort of most interesting location of the episode is the church. Quite a few... St. Michael's. Interesting things happen in that church, and according to my... Really? Location guide. You're underselling that. According to my location guide, it is uh, the Holy Trinity Church in Bledlow. Ah. The church appears most notably in Death Shadow, which starred Richard Briers as the resident revenge-seeking vicar. Well, way to spoil it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Before we go there, though, we got to talk credits now. You guys have to know, so Mark watches the episode on his own, and then we've both seen them many times, but to prepare for the show, Mark will watch it on his own, and then I watch it and and, uh, together with him and take my notes, and it's everything I can do just to make him shut up because he wants to show me all the things that he noticed. And he was like a little boy when the title sequence came on, and he's like, wait for it. Because I knew. The watercolors are back. The watercolors were back i knew they existed yeah yeah i knew we'd seen them in more than one episode so i wonder if it's a whole season two thing and then they went uh no no (laughs) but you did notice something about the watercolors (laughs) so there's a cat in every one of them a black cat which is not hard to notice but there's one thing i did notice this time that i haven't noticed before there's a creepy shop I don't know how else to describe it. It has produce outside it, of it. And it has like a bow front window and the boxes of produce outside, like it's probably a grocery store. But the windows are all black and white and have like ghosty faces pressed up against them. It's, it's very weird. Strange. It's weird. Yeah. But then the rest of them are all quaint and happy and have lots of flowers. And kitties. And kitties. So the cold open begins with a weird sequence. Yeah, Simon Fletcher driving and having little weird flashbacks, yeah? Yep. He drives past Badger's Drift Primary, which we then know it's in Badger's Drift, and we know it's bad news. Yeah. Uh, Though we don't know it's Simon yet. We hear glass breaking. We hear bells. Guy drives up to a manor. Kind of is creepy looking. Simon's creepy. There's a little boy with a blindfold. And he, uh, Simon follows him into the forest. There's teasing amongst these other boys. Yeah, the way they, the way they cut it, you don't really know what's a flashback and what's current. But it's kind of since British school and stuff. Yeah, so but British school not. uniforms have have not changed, right? So there's no, you can't date it based on their uniforms or anything. You don't know what's present and what's past and what's remembered and what's reality because it's a dream. It's a dream. They all run away, but a little boy calling out for Simon, who the man who we know is Simon, comes up, puts a noose around the the blindfolded child's neck, and then wakes up. Simon Fletcher, played by Julian Wadham, who's also in another episode called The Creeper, which is in 2009. He's also in A Death in Paradise, by the way. Oh, he is? Yeah, Anna Lewis. I don't remember him either for those shows, but he has one of those faces. Yeah. So he wakes up in his... Uh, apartment, which is the most un-midsummer-like place they could ever make. Yeah, it overlooks Tower Bridge. Yes. And he looks down to see a headshot. 
Cully's headshot. But Cully looks different. Why does Cully look different? Oh, <laughs> why are you quizzing me? Her hair is gone. She has no hair. It, her hair is so cute. I. Yeah. But like five women in the entire universe can pull off that hair, and she's one of them. That This is my favorite Cully. Yeah? Yeah, I gotta say. Her eyelashes are longer than her hair. Yes, I would agree with that. I think what they're trying to say in that beginning is... Is this guy a killer, and is he going to kill Cully? Yeah, they're kind of making him creepy. But I think the reason he picks her picks her picture up is, I, I think, below her name, it says where she's from. Mm-hmm. And it would say Costin, right? And he would know that that's, that's near Badger Strip because yeah. we learned that he grew up there. Yeah. The Barnabys are planning a trip. They're trying to plan a trip. <laughs> okay, so Joyce has the worst hair. It's, it is a perfect example of a good short hair haircut and a bad short hair haircut so if cully's hair gets better joyce's have has to get worse in this instance yes <laughs> cully's siphoning off the good hair energy from her mother because it's a helmet and it's a bad helmet and she's kind of me 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 i don't mind that so much given the explanation that she wants to renew their wedding, vows yeah when, when they were originally married Tom was supposed to say, I do. And he said, I've got it. And it was in a registry office. But here's what bugs me, okay? She, she doesn't say, I know, I want to renew our vows. Yes. She says, I want to renew my vows. I want to be the center of attention. But I think Barnaby's like, okay. Well, of course he's like, okay. Because he doesn't have any role in it at all except showing up <laughs> and picking a bad hymn, a dirge. More on bad hymn. I won't, I won't give away your bad hymn. The case they reference there is the Pimlico, Pimlico Poisoner, mm -hmm. which is an actual mystery. And we're supposed to believe that Barnaby was solving that one? No, there's no way that's possible because the Pimlico mystery or the Pimlico poisoning mystery, this is clearly a reference to that. It's like a Victorian thing, Named, isn't it? Named given to the circumstances surrounding an 1886 death of Thomas Edwin Bartlett, possibly by the hands of his wife, Adelaide Blanche Bartlett, in so, the Pimlico district of London. So it's like um, kind of a... A true crime in joke. I think so because they make a very quick reference to it later on that that woman was poisoning her husband. Yeah. So they're going to renew their vows, and of course they choose Saint Michael's in Badger Street. <laughs> but Sully, before that, Cully tells him that she is a place in a in a summer theater gig. Right. With Simon Fletcher. Yeah. And Barnaby has no idea who at that the Costin Playhouse. So off to the church. Yeah. And we meet Stephen Wentworth, played by Richard Breyer, and mm -hmm. his wife, Angela. Yes. And the, the church is under repair. Of course, because the tower is always under repair. Stephen's wife, Angela, may be the least likable person in the entirety of the show so far. Well, have you ever seen Dolores Claiborne? She's very much like that, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. She plays um, Kathy Bates's employer her boss mm. oh she's a bitch on wheels in that too oh i didn't know it was the same actress yeah oh yeah she's she also in a jonathan creek she doesn't think much of her husband she doesn't think of like <laughs> that's an understatement so i i feel like she is a character trait that i have exploded to beyond belief right she doesn't want to live in a small town she has big aspirations she doesn't want to have small, insignificant life. 
And it's if, a little late. It, yes. If that was brought up in a way that was aspirational or, you know, let's get out of this place together, it would be interesting. But, of course, it's taken to heights of Shrew, shrewness. shrewness. Yeah. Instead, it's why do they want to get married here? Oh, maybe they wanted something small and insignificant. I thought of something here that like over half of our listeners are from America. Mm. And I'm not sure how familiar they are with the Anglican Church. Because you could say it's St. Michael's, he wears a dog collar. Yeah, it seems really Catholic, but it of course it's not. It seems really Catholic, but of course it's not because he's married, so he's Anglican. Mm-hmm. So that Church of England is really so much of what the Catholic Church is here, here and we see it because the character confesses to him. Now, not with an actual confessional or anything, right? but that, that notion of... Anglican confession is still there. So the Anglican church is really a lot of Catholic stuff, except for the parts that Henry VIII didn't like. Divorce. Divorce. So. And there's, I think there's a little insight into the politics of the clergy in the Anglican church too. I mean, the, the first time I was sort of exposed to how that worked was maybe Father Brown. Yeah. And in Grantchester, you get a little bit of that too. But there's this feeling that if you if you want to be promoted in the clergy in the Anglican Church, it's a very political game. But Father Brown is Catholic. Yeah, that's true. You got me on there. So Grantchester, I guess. Grantchester. Yeah. Yes. But that whole idea of you have to impress the clergy who are above you and it's not enough to just do your part in your own little village. You and have to. The vicar's wife becomes in a like almost a political position. Yeah, yeah, and clearly Angela is unhappy with where they've got to, and it's yes. still in this little village. So Stephen goes to meet the Barnabys, and Tom lets it drop that he was there two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Rainbirds, that horrible. Shocking affair. Yeah. And of course, the vicar knows Dennis Rainbird because he was the undertaker. Which he would have. And in the background, poor Charlie is cutting the grass with a pair of loppers. I guess. It's the most inefficient grass cutting I've ever seen. And he does <laughs> He may as well have scissors. In such a menacing way. It's yeah. like, ooh, this kid's menacing. He's teen angsty more than menacing, but yeah. Well, he gets some attention later on as we'll find out and then we get to go to the doctor's office the worst doctor ever before we get to worst doctor ever and that is in my notes barnaby knows his bible he knows uh marriage of canaan and another thing i love that stephen says is we have a very committed committee yeah (laughs) now at this point in time in stephen's world okay as we said many times before Spoilers. Stephen is the killer. At this point, Stephen is okay. Oh, yeah. He hasn't snapped yet. No. And he kind of makes that joke about the very committed committee. And I'm like, maybe he was a little closer to the edge than we realized. There's somebody who needs to be committed. <laughs> yes. And it's not the committee. So off to darker, Dr. <clears throat> Barbara Hansen's office. Worst doctor ever. Yeah. It, we have to make this clear right up front. If Barbara Hansen's doesn't screw up the lab results... This entire episode doesn't happen. She doesn't screw them up, to be fair. The lab screws them up. But she's a GP delivering the interpretation of a brain scan. Which like, why isn't he at a hospital receiving those news? not qualified for. No. My comment is, maybe her old giant monitor and computer made the mistake. <laughs> or maybe it caused the tumor. <laughs> 
Because Richard Bailey is told that he has a tumor. It's malignant. It's, you have a tumor. It's going to... Arnold Schwarzenegger has come up a lot of times. We need him as a guest. In this, this podcast. <laughs> we'll talk about guests later. So she says it's malignant and he's going to need surgery. And it's dangerous surgery, followed by radiotherapy and chemotherapy. And he's pretty devastated. He, he is devastated. He's got no wife, no kids. No. Nope. It's all on his own. Yep. Dead man walking back to his house. He's kind of spacing it a bit. And Ian drives up and is like, Ian Eastman, who's the the local realtor, he sort of looks like a creepy Bill Clinton. Yeah, he kind of. His has, eyes are kind of beady. Yeah, he's yeah. he's creep meister creep. Yeah, and he wants to know what's going on with the Thai house development and Richard Bailey's Richard, in charge of it. He's Richard, the developer. Richard says we're going to go with Ericsson's and Coston. They have offices in London. They have offices in London. That makes them very fancy. And he gets home and. I don't know what the writer was thinking, but he draws a straight line between the pear tree and the pear in Richard's hand and sacrifice and pears. And he's he's like got that pear in his hand from that moment on the rest of the time we see him. Well, I thought he picked it after he got back from the meeting. No, he picks one then too. Oh, so it's twice. He's obsessed with that pear tree. Yep. Well, and his front garden is so beautiful. Anyway, I wish half of my plants grew as well as his do. And oh, he's he's just obsessed with this bruised pear. And Ian goes home to his wife, Brenda, and they say some stuff and it doesn't matter at all. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she and her Troy-like hairdo don't matter at all. <laughs> Everyone knows he has cancer and she drops a tiny bit of information here that blew me away. From the <laughs> How she knows about the tumor? She knows because the doctor's maid yeah. told her. So the doctor, remember, worst doctor ever, yeah. told the maid that Richard has a brain tumor. Yeah. Not usually something you talk about with the domestic. Her maid who happens to be, dun dun dun, Mrs. Bundy. Mrs. Bundy. And it's just dropped in there. I'm like... Oh, well, Mrs. Bundy, whatever. We know who Mrs. Bundy is. <laughs> she finds dead people. <laughs> Agnes rides her motorbike through town. Yeah, well, and we see David Whiteley uh, hanging out at the pub. Who is a character from the pilot. Yeah, yeah. The, the first time when Ian asks Richard about Ty House, it's like a little flashback. Like, oh, that's right. We're still in Badger's Drift. Ty House. The yeah. infamous Ty House. Yeah. It's Thai House. Now, we're not told about any of the characters or anything like that yet. Yeah. So Agnes rides her motorcycle. Agnes Sampson, who's played by Vivian Pickles, best name ever. Best name ever. And she comes home to her sister and brother-in-law, who she lives with. Claire and Reggie. Claire and Reg. Here's an interesting thing. So Agnes Sampson is supposed to be Claire Williams' sister, right? That's why she lives with them. But in reality, Vivian Pickles who plays Agnes, is married to Gordon Gostolo, who plays Reg. I didn't know that. They were married. So they were married. He's he's passed on now, but yes. I like Reg. They he's were married a for a long time. Yeah. He and Bunny could hang out. They, they probably do. You don't know how far Bunny delivers. <laughs> That's true. And <laughs> his little basket. Oh, but there's other people who ride bikes much better than Bunny, aren't there? We'll get to that, too. <laughs> 
She tells Claire about the development and the loss of three oaks and a U. Yeah, because they're going to convert Thai House into a retirement home and a golf course. This is the big project that Richard Bailey is working on, and everybody's upset about it, especially Agnes. She reminds me so much of that woman in a later episode who's all up in arms about the right of way. Yes. And that the, uh, people should be able to walk. Yeah, that episode. That may be the bell ringer episode, possibly. Then we get to the, the tower committee who's so committed. Even though Richard Bailey's on the committee and doesn't go to church. Yeah. He's not a churchgoer. And it's the Grand Village Fete. Ian has on that evil orange shirt. Oh, he's just horrible. <laughs> they talk about palm reading, the lucky dip. Mm-hmm. Coconut shy. And Charles is going to set everything up, but Ian wants his help with his coconuts and his young hands. Yeah, because it takes... his coconuts. Because <laughs> it takes so many hands to set up coconuts. And Angela, who is making a paper airplane like a five-year-old boy. She doesn't even hide her apathy. She basically says, you all have tea, I'm off to bed. Yeah, don't wake me up. I'm going to take a pill. <laughs> And they need a celebrity to open the fet. Now this this trope of needing a celebrity to open a fet is used again with the Wilmington ride people. Yeah. Because Barnaby opens that fet. Yeah, that's true. So we have the whole fundraising meeting, which if you've ever seen a midsummer, you know, well, that's not gonna go well. No. Because you can't go to a fet or have a hobby in midsummer unless you want to die. Somebody's going to die. <laughs> and speaking of somebody who's going to die, Simon <laughs> Fletcher drives into town. David Whiteley recognizes him, having not seen him for 30 years. Yeah, would you recognize somebody you knew as a little boy? I and don't know. Simon Fletcher takes off like, oh, it's David Whiteley. <laughs> he is kind of scary. He's kind of confrontational. But Richard asks Stephen if he can stay behind and talk to him, even though it's late, though the sun's still out, because he he needs to get some things off his chest. Maybe that's why Ian is so pissed. He's still pissed. He's like, pissy, pissy, pissy. Yeah, my orange shirt makes me angry. (laughs) So Richard talks to Stephen, and we're then changed back to the Barnaby house. Right. And we're talking about him for the matrimonial precision. This is over the candlelit dinner? Yes. For three? And (laughs) Barnaby suggests Peril on the Sea, which is not the name of the hymn. And he even sings it. He does. He sings it very well. The same hymn that he sings when he's high on the bunny cake. So what's it actually called? It's actually called Eternal Father, the Naval Hymn. Big surprise. It's all about boats. Yeah. And <laughs> Joyce is like, you're a policeman. You're you're not a sailor. We can't have that song. It's a dirge. It's not really a, a happy let's get remarried song. No, it's not a happy song. <laughs> but he likes it. It's basically all these people we've lost on the sea. Yeah. But he likes the tune. Yeah. <laughs> Cully says that they're going to do the Duchess of Melfi. It's got more murder than an average week in Barnaby's it's life. It's been a long time since the last murder. It was. Edit. <laughs> like, he's he's getting ready to say when his last murder was. But, you know, Midsummer is notorious for not having good timelines or, like, uh, something that lets you recognize days passing so he couldn't possibly actually acknowledge how long it has been. No. Because then we would know. <laughs> so the meeting is over. It's later that night. 
Claire is making some warm milk and notices that Agnes is not in the house. Right. She's not in bed. And Reggie's like, well, let's go to bed then. Coco in bed. (laughs) Even though it's actually his wife who's out there in reality. (laughs) Worst doctor ever gets a call at like 1030 at night. Oh, no. Later than that, like 1130 at night. And then goes driving around. Because, you know, that's when the lab calls to let you know the results. But her impulse is good, okay? If I thought that I had a tumor in my brain that was going to kill me, and our doctor found out at midnight that that wasn't true, I want him to come over and wake me up and tell me. That's true. I I understand that. Tell me. But then she doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Stephen's in the church freaking out. So Richard has stayed back and told Stephen something that makes Stephen murderous, right? And then Stephen has left. Then before he comes back and kills Richard, Dr. Henson is there. Hanson. And she could have come in and told him the news. So so a second time in which she could stop the entire plot of this show. Meaning that she would be there when the killer vicar shows up and maybe... He Stop wouldn't, the other killings. Maybe he wouldn't have gotten killed, which would have saved a couple of other lives too. But eh, she goes home and goes to bed because it's late. It's all her fault. Meanwhile, Simon's driving around. Simon's driving around and Ian is creeping in the shadows and Agnes is creeping in the shadows. It's another episode of why aren't these people in bed? Everybody's creeping. <laughs> At least Agnes puts on like skulky clothes she's got like dark sweater sock hat ian's out there in his evil orange shirt (laughs) the gate opens the killer cam the gate that richard would never oil because he always wanted to know when someone was coming picks out the axe yeah and then and you think that's going to be the murder weapon yeah nope not unless the victim is a pear tree and then stephen wakes up in bed huh somebody's in the house somebody's in the house what time is it evil wife (laughs) Angela's level of assholishness is so exceptional that even half awake, she's a jerk. (laughs) So that clock radio with the flippy, flippy numbers (laughs) was from like 1981. Yes. And let's put a box of sleeping pills on top of it so there's no doubt that she has taken a sleeping she's pill. She's taken a sleeping pill. And she's got like Gucci silk pajamas uh, on or her something. Her pajamas, I, I looked kind of, at them for a long time. I'm and sorry. And then I was like, why are you even looking at this woman's pajamas? <laughs> I had a little come to Mark moment there. There was I'm, a time in the late 80s, early 90s where this, it, it was like a faux Gucci polo pattern was really popular and it's like this kind of equestrian kind of ropes and saddles and uh, uh, yeah they're of that era so steven goes downstairs notices the windows open Mm -hmm. but does not notice his giant scimitar is missing yes because you don't when you're half asleep you know i wonder where like is he in a fugue state that he actually believes not that there's somebody there because he's clearly setting up an alibi right But he goes through the motions pretty convincingly of doing what he's doing. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, he goes downstairs, he turns on the light, he notices the windows open, closes it, and even makes a, that'll fix it face, and then goes back to bed. Angela is asleep. There's nobody there to see him but us. Who is he performing for? Us. 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 Speaking of performing, (laughs) the next day, Yes. our favorite Charlie. Yeah. Mrs. Bundy. 
rides again. Yeah. She goes into to Richard's house to clean. If you weren't, if you don't recall Mrs. Bundy, she went into Gerald's house. Yes. And found him naked and dead. Yes. In of course I didn't epi- go in the bedroom. In episode two. <laughs> With the first season one, episode one. But this time it's worse because she goes in the front door. And she slips. And she goes, woo, 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 and slips and goes face down in the blood. It comes out of the, the house screaming covered in blood. Like a screaming Mimi. Speaking of covered in blood, since we're we're not trying to like maintain any, any uh, sense of suspense here. So Stephen has beheaded. With the scimitar. Richard. Okay. Now, first of all, it's a very small hallway in the house. It's narrow. I'm impressed that he could get a strong enough swing with that thing to actually behead somebody. Okay, like 40 years of living with Angela. He's got some rage. Hasn't made him snap. Yeah. He hears the information that he hears. Yeah. So he snapped. Yeah. I don't think even that could make you... Like, cut a person's head off with the scimitar right away. like In one stroke. Yeah. Because when we see the kind of reenactment later, it's clearly one, one swing and a thump. Yeah. Because his head is in the living room, though it might have bounced there or been carried there. But he would have been so coated in blood, head to toe. So we had this little Like image. a fountain of blood. We had this little image. <laughs> <laughs> that Stephen turns on the light in the bedroom to say that somebody's in the house and he's covered in blood. Yeah, but Angela doesn't notice because she Angela never pays doesn't any attention. Angela doesn't even suspicion. notice it. Because <laughs> he would be. He like, would absolutely You cut somebody's head off, there's going to be some arterial spray. No well, wonder Mrs. Bundy Mrs. falls Bundy down. Mrs. Bundy finds it. <laughs> Maybe she screams because she's like, oh my God, this is such a giant mess. I don't want to clean it up. So Mrs. Bundy <laughs> is in that episode. Yeah. Those two episodes. But she's also in the pilot, but not as Mrs. Bundy. She is one she's, of... She's in the murders of Badger's Drift? Yes, because she's one of the counselors at the helpline. This woman needs counseling. I think so. <laughs> After what she's gone through. This is, but, but that was before the bad things happened to her. <laughs> Poor Mrs. Bundy. Maybe she's Ted's mom. Maybe. We'll return to the police canteen. Uh, Barnaby asks Troy's favorite hymn, and they get a piece of paper that says, dead body head missing. Yeah. Yeah, that constable brings Barnaby that slip of paper. Like, what? Instead of saying, excuse me, sir, but there's been a murder in Badger's Drift and you're you're needed, you know. It's a piece of paper. Yeah. Head off, Badger's Drift. <laughs> and when they get there, George is George like, is upset. Oh, it's just like the worst one I've ever seen. He's overwhelmed by it. And Troy asks, where's the body? And he's like, most of it's in the living room. And most of it is in the hallway. <laughs> But the head's in the living room. It either bounced there or was carried. could have been carried there. And don't even talk to Mrs. Bundy. No. <laughs> and, when, and when Dr. Hansen comes, he they refer to Richard in the past. And she's like, oh, has he committed suicide? And Troy says, we believe he may have been the victim of a murder. His head is off. Yeah. <laughs> He might have done it to himself. The pear tree might have, like, whipped him around yeah. and got him or I'm something. I'm tired of you yanking pears off of me. I'm done with you. Whack. And they say it's a murder, and she goes, well, thank goodness for that. Yeah. 
because she is the worst doctor ever, as we've mentioned. The doctor explains to them what the situation is, and they well, go... Well, no. Well... Well, sort of. Not that he's not... That he wasn't dying. She, at that point, still sticks to the story that he was dying. Yes. Because she's also a coward. She, worst doctor coward ever. <laughs> We're not inviting her to our come midsummer with me. No. They go off to interview Stephen, uh, who has actually said he was praying for him the night before. Yeah, praying that you could cut his head off in one foul swoop. Yeah. And he says he's going to change his will to give all his money to the church. For the tower fund. And he's been stabbed. (laughs) It's an understatement, isn't it? (laughs) Is it really stabbed at that point? (laughs) It's like saying Jaws was a big fish. Yes. (laughs) He goes, well, isn't that a coinkydink? Because I have a missing scimitar. Come see. (laughs) And Angela shows up and goes, well, there's nothing worth stealing here. And people traipse all over the house. Yeah, because everything's horrible here, of course. And Claire's in the cemetery. which She's not dead, but she's in the cemetery. Yeah. And that's where we find out about Jennifer and Felix. Felix Stephen. Bryce. Yes. Who we can't really count in the body count for the episode because they've been dead for a while. while. And Felix was an accident. Yes. Yeah. Um, Agnes was the teacher in the dream, we find out. And then we find out that she also doesn't understand puzzles. Well, she understands them. She just wants her way in the world. (laughs) Haven't you ever felt like when you were doing a jigsaw puzzle, just like cutting one of the pieces off and making it fit? She's going to make it fit no matter what. So she's sitting there putting together a jigsaw puzzle with scissors at hand. It's not like she gets up and goes, gets them. It's like, that's just later, part of putting together a jigsaw. Later on, most of the puzzle is put a, put together. I guess. I guess. Off to Ian's office. And we meet Olive. Yes. Who might be my favorite character in this episode. Olive. Beauvois, what is it? Beauvoisier? Beauvoisin. Beauvoisin. Does that mean like pretty view yes. in French? She's not. No. No, she's unique. But they bring her back for another episode in the same season. Yes. So essentially he explains that uh, David Whiteley had Richard over a barrel. Yeah. Because of Ty House. Yeah. Uh, but Ian, Ian says, asks for the sale, the quarterly sales binder, and they're doing just fine. Yes, they sold six High Street in Badger's Drift for $195,000. Wow, you looked at that really close. 195,000 pounds. The material production in this episode is pretty good. There's some... There, the, the next scene has a pretty good piece, too. I did notice when they go to the Eastman, what he's called like Badger's Drift Real Estate or something. Yes. On the outside of the shop, the sign for the business kind of wraps around the top on two sides. It's very clearly a banner. Yeah. That's kind of attached to the building. Yeah. But it looks good. It still looks good. Yeah. Ian also lies to the police because we know he went out. He was creeping in his evil orange shirt. He was creeping. Going to see Charlie. And Barnaby says it's a big world, but a small county. (laughs) So he wasn't at home in bed, and his wife Brenda knows it. But he tells Miss Beauvoisin that he's leaving for 10 minutes and rushes home. And... To tell her. To to scowl at Brenda and say, why are you opening big statements? So Brenda has their Halifax card cash statement. Mm. Which is dated July 1998. Their address, by the way, this is statement number eight. Their address <laughs> is a pretty new account. Three Church Road. Their mortgage payment is 40111. That's cheap. Uh, remember, it's pounds. But still, they got a nice house. The 
she has put money in, but he has taken a lot out. And out of the original almost a thousand pounds in that account, there is now only 14 pounds. Wow. So what's he spending the money on? His boyfriend. Because remember, he says he's paying him. Oh, that's right. He's paying Charlie. This is expensive. Yeah. Dalliance there. Yeah, for a village. Charlie's doing well. He's charging a lot of money. Richard's been killed and I'm going to threaten you. Yeah. Because <laughs> when the cops come, you better be careful what you tell them. Cops, speaking of Barnaby and Troy, they rush off to talk to David Whiteley, who can't wear a shirt. Okay, I do a lot of work around our house. Can can we agree that I'm the handy one? Yes. Okay, I climb ladders, I saw boards, I do all kinds of stuff. And never have I ever done it with one button button. One button and no undershirt. Very few men wear undershirts. But he's out there dressed like a Chippendale working on his gingerbread but trim. He, so he's living in a caravan. He is also need of restoration man. Yes. <laughs> Because he's got the carriage house and he's trying to fix it up at Thai House. And we find out that Ian, David, and Richard all went to school together. And Simon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's got one button buttoned when he's on the ladder for the funeral. He buttons three. Three. (laughs) Wow. I don't even know why he's at that funeral. He hates him. He hates him. He hates Richard. Hates him so much he can't even button his whole shirt. <laughs> well, he's there so that he can say, oh, I've got everything all worked out now. And yep. Somebody can kill him. And somebody can overhear him say that, yeah. Then we're led to believe that Cully has a rope around her neck and is being hurt. But yes. of course, it's just the Duchess of Malfi and uh, Death Simon, spectacle. Simon is teaching his class on Jacobean theater and hitting on Cully, who says, Nico, Nico, who? Because they're not a thing. She finds out that Simon used to live here, and she mentioned Richard's name, and he freaks out. Yeah, they go for a beer, and it's like, hey, this is working out. And he's talking to her and stuff, and then she goes, oh, you don't know about Richard? And he's like, <gasps> I gotta go. I gotta go. And he's off. Oh, and she said that her dad is investigating it. My dad's yeah. a copper. Your friend's dead. He's the worst actor, actor ever. Yeah. Because he's acting pretty guilty. Yeah. And she thinks she's upset him. Well, you know who else is upset? Hmm. Joyce is upset. <laughs> so much so, she burns the toast. Yeah, and doesn't talk to him. <laughs> she's pissed. Because somebody got killed. <laughs> Damn it, why do people have to get murdered when I have plans? <laughs> I'm sorry, Joyce. This is just the beginning of that. Well, if she didn't kill people, it wouldn't happen. But this is so, (laughs) and we'll get to this at the end, how this is the first episode of really Midsummer at 11 and how this new season is all that spectacular stuff. Yeah. But Joyce is not the Joyce of the first season of I saw a murder and I'm upset about it. No. Joyce is like, my plans are up. are ruined because of your silly silly little job. Oh, Tom, why can't you be a postman or a dentist? And then Cully goes, hey. What if the vicar did it? What if the vicar did it? (laughs) No. And they talk themselves out of it. And (laughs) the fact that he even has like an anti-motive. Yeah. And Cully is like, well, I just hate sleeves and I still think it's the victor. Vicar. <laughs> she is in sleeveless outfits through this whole episode. It is summer. I guess. It's it's a s- summer acting camp that she's in. That's it is true. the summer. And he goes he takes her to acting camp and 
he doesn't ask Simon questions. No. Like the way that she's worried he's going to. Dad. Like you haven't you ever heard that before from yes. one of our kids? Dad. The memorial service starts and his Stephen's wife is horrible. Judy Parfit is so good at acting bored. The camera is high up. It's panning the entire audience and the church. And she has to be bored in a big way to make, to, for it to and be visible. And she the church is half empty. That is a full church. It looks pretty full. I was raised in an Anglican church in the middle of nowhere in Canada. And it wasn't like a stone church like this one is. It was probably about half the size of this one. And if that many people had shown up, we would have been overjoyed. Yeah. It it is full. And they kind of go over the murder. And Richard says, oh, it's you. So he knows his killer. Yeah. Because when the killer knocks at the door, he lets them in. Would you like a pair? Really was the next thing he no, was going to No, he doesn't say. share his pairs except at the fall festival where he gives Stephen one. One. But there's an interesting look between a trio of people at the memorial service. Mrs. Bundy? Because she's also... She's, <laughs> she's there and looking very upset, but that's not who I'm talking about. Ian looks at Charlie and Olive notices them looking at each other. So Olive knows what's going on between Charlie and Ian. Yeah, she knows. Especially since I think they're slipping off and going into empty houses yes. to do it all yeah, the I time. Think so, so I, yeah, she would probably know. David Whiteley leaves and tells everybody he should die. Yep. Basically. I got lots of money with my three-buttoned shirt. And then Reggie runs up and throws Agnes under the bus. Yep. You Who ought, is his wife now that we learned? Yeah, this. the actor's wife. Yeah, you ought to ask you ought to ask Agnes because she wasn't at home that night. And the worst doctor in the world says, Can I have a word? <laughs> Not only am I a coward, but I'm also a liar and a gossip. Sorry. There's a little scene here between Angela and Stephen, and Stephen talks back to her for the first time we've seen in the episode. So he's become emboldened through murder. Yeah, murder has given him courage to stand up to his wife, but he doesn't kill her. So we find out the doctor went around to the house and was about to tell Richard and then goes home and sees Ian. Yeah. And we're left with the question, a very good question which is why kill a man who's already dead? Right. Well, maybe they didn't want him to change his will, Troy comes up with. Maybe they Troy did it to up, stop him yeah, from changing Troy his will. Troy comes up with a pretty good idea. So they go, they go well, to see Jocelyn, that, our favorite lawyer. Mrs. Bovizan and Ian, and Ian bold-faced lies to them yet again. Again, yeah. I wasn't anywhere near there. Nope. Nope. And then we get Jocelyn, our favorite lawyer. He's so cute. The bulk of the estate goes to a Mrs. Margaret Green in Aus- in Perth. Australia? Scotland? No, Australia. He's like... And we don't really ever find out who she is, no, right? No, not at all. And 500 pounds goes to the church. Yeah. So the only He was one, also Gerald's lawyer. The only one who's really benefited is David Whiteley. So, okay. Because he finally got the price that he was asking for. So Jocelyn is Gerald's lawyer. Yeah. And Richard's lawyer. Yeah. And both of them have Mrs... Bundy as their housekeeper. Coincidence? Coincidence? I think not. Then David Whiteley dies in his caravan. There's a hammer placed in the door so he can't open it up, though he could have jumped through the window. The windows aren't big, but it's a caravan. You just kick one of them out. He's not a weakling. Why? And he looks at a mysterious figure and, and is like totally confused. Yeah. He recognizes the mysterious figure. Yeah. 
Because it's Stephen, the killer vicar. The milkman from Chilton Dairies arrives at the Barnaby's house. Everything's great. Peter and Anne from New York are coming to the wedding. Yeah, and we get to see the Barnaby's bedroom in the light. Yes. And they have horrible wallpaper. Horrible <laughs> wallpaper. I think that's the same wallpaper that was in the bathroom of our house when we moved in. Ugh. It's gone, by the way. Gone. <laughs> Stephen is in a good mood for the fact he's also in terrific shape, as we'll find out. Yeah, so he's got an idea. Okay, so first of all, we see the fet getting set up, which is the typical putting up the bunting, everybody get everybody's excited scene. And because he later runs into Cully and Simon, we know that their acting workshop starts at 9.30 and the, the fet, fet starts, starts at, at 2.00. Two. But Brenda is putting the cakes out already. Yes. It's yeah. a little early. It's a little early. <laughs> These kind of things bother me. <laughs> so So Stephen has an idea for the celebrity. Yeah, he needs he still needs somebody to open the fat. So he's on his little bike with his basket and he goes biking off. And you think, oh, he's got an idea. And he bikes all the way to Coston. From Badger's Drift. Yeah. Now, this it's, is not it's the like... the Tour de Costa. He's not in Lycra. It, it's not a long-run bike outfit he has on. It's a hot day. It's summer. And he's not even sweating. No, he's in good shape. That's why he can run so fast well, later. And kill somebody with one chop. Yeah. He's been working out. Yeah. He rides his bike. He's in shape. I guess so. Then He convinces Troy... Simon to come to the fet. Yeah. And then bikes off back to Badger's Drift. Then Barnaby and Troy find out caravan. about the caravan. Yeah. And Troy has to look at the body. <laughs> and I love the the entire caravan is burnt to cinders. Except for? One picture of uh, the class. Yes. From, from Badger's primary. Badger's Drift primary. The going interview Agnes... They say, hey, Agnes, you were going to cut down the pear tree. She says, yeah, I was there at midnight on the dot. Whoever came to the door and killed him, he was greeted as an old friend. I freaked out and went home. Eye for an eye, tree for a tree. The fet begins at two o'clock. Why is Ian dressed up like a cowboy? Why is Cully on stage while uh, Simon is opening the fet? Emotional support? I guess. That doesn't explain Ian's outfit. And he sneaks off from the coconut shy. Because he pays two little girls to run it, which nobody's going to notice. Olive is in the poem reader. Yeah, getting Claire to read her poem. And Stephen gives the doctor some wine. <laughs> Maybe he, she won it on trombola, tombola, or she's, he's like, hey, I'm not going to kill you. Here's some wine. Yeah, <laughs> you get to survive. Cully gets some tea. For Simon. Yeah. And then we have a great act of murderous nominative determinism. Simon Fletcher is killed with an arrow. Now, the arrow that he shot with, I understand, but it's what's called a safety arrow. It, it, it is a domed, unpointed arrow. And, and shot with a crappy bow. It's a piece of wood with a string. You you would have to... You might not be able to stab somebody with this kind of arrow. Yeah. Like, if you took it and plunged it into them. And from experience that I'm not maybe proud of... <laughs> have you tried this? <laughs> uh, a good winter jacket would stop that arrow. <laughs> Was it your winter jacket or somebody else's? I'm just, I'm just saying I have some experience with arrows of that type. So Simon's spine must be really soft and squishy? Well, so he's walking along, and I thought about this. So they, they show him walking along, and then they cut to the arrow being shot, and the arrow going through the air, and then he falls over with the arrow on his back. 
Mm-hmm. I bet he had the arrow in his back as he was walking along, <laughs> waving and calling. And then had to go, oh, and, and then fall he forward. falls on the floor. Poor Cully. He might have been her big chance. Somebody would have seen this. This is just blatant. He out was behind open. the palm reader's tent. No. It's the best cover ever. <laughs> so here we go with days mixed up. Yeah. Because the next scene is Barnaby and Troy rushing. No, well, the... they, they question people at the FET. At the FET. And as they're leaving, they put together... Oh, all these guys were in school together. Including Ian. Ian is the only one still alive. So we should rush over to Ian's place right away. And they run off screen. They run off screen. And go home and go to bed. Well, but what? They they drive up and They're in skid complete, to a stop. In completely different clothes. The next day. <laughs> <laughs> it's a continuity issue, I think. It's like they said, oh, it's five o'clock. Yeah, so, I don't care I'm if he sorry, might be Ian, murdered tonight. I can't save you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> he might be killed later, but oh, you know, it's okay. Where's Ian? He's in an empty house with Charlie. Yes. Bobo's in, gives him up. Hey, at least they shut the front door. At least they shut the front door. Unlike other people who are bonking. He's upstairs with Charles. He's paying him. He's 19. Okay, so the reason why they're rushing over to see Ian is to protect him from whatever is killing all these schoolmates, right? Right. And Ian has like this soliloquy in front of an open window. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'm not should, gay. Maybe you should keep him away from the window. Well, and then they just leave him there. So apparently being gay is protection against murder. I guess. Or not being gay. So there was a group of them. They were called the sign of the four after Sherlock Holmes. There was an initiation for this new Felix kid. They had no idea what was going to happen. They put a rope around his neck and put him on a chair and tied his arms behind his back. And he slipped off the chair. Yeah. It was a complete accident. And they were off having a sneaky cigarette, so they didn't know. And then everybody thought that he committed suicide. Right. And then his mother was so bereft that she wasted away and basically died too. And we know it's the next day because Joyce has arrived at the church. Waiting for Barnaby to get there at 11. So maybe they got up first thing to go and see Ian? As fast as they could drive. Yeah. Next, they go see Agnes. Yeah. And Claire, and they lay out the whole history. That the girl was a modern girl. She, uh, people blamed Agnes for the boy's death. She just slipped away. And Barnaby says, I need to know what kind of alarm clock Angela has. Yeah. Which is a cryptic. Which means, haha, I've got it. Because they, he has to go. He says, I need to be at the church. I'm running late. But first, we need to stop by the vicarage because I need to know what kind of alarm clock Angela has. Yep. And Troy's like, huh? He looks uh-huh. like a confused dog. What? <laughs> Tom arrives and says the service has to be canceled. Is that how you would do it? I don't know. But Joyce, who was ready to kill bread before, yeah. is like, oh, okay, whatever. Well, she's not surprised. But he, he like, he confronts Stephen. He says, I know you're the killer and everything. He, he does kind of say to Joyce and Cully, back up, right? But if it were me, if I was Tom and I was coming into that church, I would have come in and said, I'm really sorry, Joyce and Cully, but I need a moment to talk to Stephen. It's about the case. I got to ask him a question. Maybe call for backup also. And, and I would take him over to the side. Some uniform. 
arms. And then I would confront him. Exactly. Not with my wife and daughter standing right there. And I love Cully's face when she realizes what he, what he's saying, that Stephen's the murderer, and Stephen is like, yeah, I'm the killer. I kill all the people. Kill, kill. I kill, 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 and I'm not a, sorry that I did it. Cully, like, rolls her eyes like, oh, great. Told you it was the vicar. This murder has gotten in our way again. Yeah, stupid murder. When the recreation of the crime happens, you hear the thud of the head. The the thump, yeah. (laughs) Barney says it's Old Testament, and Stephen's like, I'm glad I did it. I'm crazy. (laughs) I should have done it a long time ago. No. Yeah, he says he's going to go pray, and then he takes a run up the stairs up into the tower and goes and hangs off the scaffolding. But before that, he kicks Troy. Yeah, well, because he's an athlete. Yes. Stephen is an athlete. He, he must be. Because he rides that bike. The athletic vicar. He is in good shape. The athletic shape. murderous vicar. <laughs> yes, he's in good shape. And he makes it to the top and of the tower. Troy says, stop, don't. Yeah. But so when Stephen gets to the outside of the um, scaffolding, he sees that Angela's walking up the way. Angela! And he shouts at her to get her attention to make sure she sees him fall. Yes. It's, it's like, not fall. He jumps. Well, yeah, but it's like he, he wants to make sure she sees it. I should have done it years ago. Yeah. And off he goes. And he does some great dead body acting. There. Yeah. And they've got a couple of good uh, stunt people there, too. Yep. And the Barnabies are off on holiday. Yeah, they're off on the Orient Express. <laughs> Tom's got an ascot on. Like, yes. he looks like he's going on the love boat or something. And then before they pull away, Collie gets down in the window and she's got this little, like, box of something. And every time I see this episode, I think she's going to hand them condoms. But it's confetti. It's, it's rice paper Burn confetti. Rice paper. Yeah. But I always think she's going to hand them condoms. <laughs> like, they're past it, Collie. Don't worry about it. And so ends episode one of season two, Death's Shadow. Though, there's no real shadow. (laughs) It's the shadow of the death of Felix. Oh, I guess. It's been over all their lives, their whole lives. I I would guess so. And it's it's weighed on Stephen. When he confesses and he says that Jennifer understood that he was a vicar and that Nobody could know. He also says that they were his life. And she she died after Felix. Yeah. And he had to bury both of them and not tell anybody. Not tell anybody. And still live with Angela. Yeah. It's amazing he didn't go on a murderous spree earlier. Then, yes. Like he could have just machine gunned down the vet. <laughs> <laughs> the inciting incident of this episode is the worst Dr. Ever's lab. Yeah. Screwing up. If that hadn't have happened... If Richard hadn't confessed to Stephen... None of this would have happened. Nope. None of it. Nope. Ian would still be bonking Charlie and... Cully would be Angela would still Simon be a jerk and, and happy ending. Yep. Yeah. It's all that lab's fault. And they would have had their marriage vows renewed. Yeah. Even Joyce would be happy. But the worst doctor in the world. So this is the first episode of really the real... Well, not real. The, of the midsummer that we are more familiar with. Yeah, the midsummer of murderers that are ever so slightly c- crazy. I mean, you can. There are murders like that in the first season, but they kill like one person. And the murders, the method of murder, yeah. is related to their madness. Yeah. 
there's a connection between them and you just get this sense that it's the the craziness is kind of the product of being in a village it's the way i explained it was everything is turned up to 11 here Mm -hmm. except for barbara who could not be in the episode at all brenda brenda yes not barbara brenda yeah in fact if brenda and ian were together ian wouldn't even need to be there no well, he would he would have a motive to kill Richard because of the Thai house thing. I guess. He'd be angry about that. He'd have his personal houseboy and it would be over. But the one thing I can say about Brenda Eastman that makes her interesting is that the actress who played her is interesting, Jessica Turner. She was in an episode of Bergerac. Mm-hmm. And she, she was also the star of this wacky British tweens show called Poltergeists. Poltergeists? Yeah, about a mother and daughter who ran a hotel that was full of funny ghosties. <laughs> it's called Poltergeists. I will have to look up Poltergeists. I watched about 10 minutes of an episode wow. today. It's 10 minutes I'll never get back. Is it filmed in video? Yeah. Yeah. On a stage. On a stage? Yeah, it, wow. on a set. Yeah. She she ran that show. Now, in relation to that, Richard Briers, who plays... Stephen, Stephen. Stephen has played a vicar in a whole bunch of other shows. Yeah. So I think that this is also a big get for them. Yeah, I think he's definitely a big star. And I, I think Angela Wentworth, who plays Angela, is too. They're they're both actors with a lot of history and a lot of really good like uh, Shakespearean work and a lot of Agatha Christie and masterpiece kind of work. Richard Breyer's got an OBE and a CBE before... Before this. He was in this show. Yeah, he must have been like, uh, like when he was on set, everybody must have been like overjoyed with him. Yeah, and from everything I read about him, he was just a super happy guy. And he has so much fun with this. Yeah. You can tell he's kind of having fun with it. He was in the same Doctor Who that Elizabeth Spriggs, Mrs. Rainbird, was in. (laughs) Which was like a four episode kind of mini series thing. He was in that too. And they're so funny together. It's like, it, we joke about how, you know, England only has like 30 actors. And it's especially true when you look at actors who are over like 60. Yes. Because they've all done stage productions together. They, they've all been in these older TV shows together, like Coronation Street. They've all... The Bill. The Bill. They've, they've played parts in those things. It's just interesting to see where they overlap because even uh, Gordon Gostolo, who plays Reg, was in a Doctor Who and a Bergerac. And, like, there were yeah. only so many actors to go around. I think I think Bergerac and, and Doctor Who both were kind of like Midsummer in that they had a core characters. And then every episode they had new kind of guests. Yeah, exactly. And so you've got this group of, of actors who are, they're just those guest players. But they're good at it. They are fantastic and This, to me, the pilot is still the best episode so far, but this is second best. Yeah, yeah. I really like this episode. It's the magic of Badger's Drift. It is the magic of Badger's Drift. So we talked about Mrs. Bundy being a repeat character and Olive... Beauvaison yes. is a repeat character, in the, within the season anyway. Yes. But there's another character in this episode who exceeds them in the number of episodes that he's in. Who is that? And he plays the same character. Oh, I have no idea who this in is. In four episodes. Who is this? 
His name is Neil Conrich, and he plays Police Constable Angel. Wow. And he's in four episodes. He's in four episodes already? As Police Constable Angel. I, we need to talk to this man. Because <laughs> he's foundational. Yeah. He was there from the beginning, and he's, once you know who he is, he's everywhere. He's, is he in many more of the episodes? He's I don't have a list of which episodes he's in. It's it's on the Midsummer Wiki, yeah, which is super well maintained. If you guys haven't checked it out, you should. But he's on a bike. He's uh, in the back with a clipboard. He's one of the constables that they talk to. I think he's standing next to Richard's front door when Tom and Troy come out of the house is after he finding the his body. That brings up the axe. I don't think so. Okay, he might be though. Okay, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but he's in four episodes in the first two seasons. Wow. So uh, we, I, I will find all those pictures of him and place them in the show notes. So we can see where he's yes. at. We've, we've joked about one of the things we'd like to do on this show is to do brief interviews with people who played bit parts in, in Midsummers. Um, and he would definitely be a good one. There's another one. And I'm asking listeners to help here. Yes, we need your help. We need your help with this one. So what's the name of the episode? The episode is The Electric Vendetta. That's right. The Electric Vendetta, which is the one you'll remember immediately. It's season four. It's with the crop circles. Yes. Where they and find a body. Ufologists. <laughs> ufologists. Ufologists. Where they find a body face down, naked, in a crop circle at the very beginning of the episode. Nakedy, naked. It is the best corpse acting in in the whole show ever. Close-ups of his face. And his butt. Yes. (laughs) But this man, the actor who played this character, is uncredited. He's named in the episode. He has a name. Uncredited. Yeah. We think he he may have been played by a stuntman. Possibly. So he's not credited as playing that part. I'll tell you how crazy it is. I looked up all the stuntmen and looked for pictures of those stuntmen to see how closely they looked to the dead body guy, the <laughs> naked dead body guy. Because if we could interview anybody who played a small part in Midsummer, that guy would be we one really of the ones I would want to talk to. Yeah. But if there are other kind of small part characters. Or that, anybody who's part of the production. Yeah, that you're interested in, that you want to suggest we try to get a hold of. We are more than willing to make an effort. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so please give us your suggestions on who you'd like to hear us talk to and what questions you might have for them. Our next episode is season two, episode two, which is Strangler's Woods. Oh, it's a good one, too. I always think it's a much later episode no. than it is. Yeah. It's so good. They're best made ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen it lately, go watch it. Yes. Go rewatch it. So, again, we want to say thank you to everybody who's been listening and making comments. We've just been absolutely blown away by the response of the show already. We just dropped the third episode today, and the number of downloads for this today has been our most ever already. In so one day, yeah. We're gaining steam and popularity. Here. And what I love is all the comments that say, I found my people. I found the people who understand what I'm talking about. Other people who like this show, I thought I was the only one. Clearly, Midsummer is a super successful show. There are lots and lots of people who like it. But for some reason, outside the UK especially, it's like a secret. And in fact, we're going to record this week a little interlude to play before the fourth episode of 
thank you comments, actually reading out some of the comments. And we've had one individual send us an audio clip. Yeah, it's great. It's just just so exciting. We're blown away. So thanks for listening. And tune in next week. For Strangler's Wood. Strangler's Wood. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're making garroting motions with your hands. (laughs) Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. here for a second okay when you come back from a drink you make this sound okay you'll want to edit it out okay i'll edit that out